Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. Sports writer Jane Levy has a brand new book. It's called The Big Fella, Babe Ruth and the world he created, it's already a home run, pun intended. Kirkus Reviews says this, Sparkling, exemplary sports biography, shedding new light on a storied figure in baseball history. As a matter of fact, just today, literally today, my hometown Philadelphia Inquirer published a list of the best books of 2018, and Jane makes it for this profile, this uh, biography of Babe Ruth. This is Jane Levy. Hey, Jane, welcome back. It's so nice to have you back on my program. Michael, you know, it didn't feel real until this exact moment. (laughs) (laughs) So here was what I first thought when it arrived. I I said, what what would make her, frankly, it's the same thing that I've, I've thought about your prior books. What would make her think that there is new ground to be plowed? What unexplored territory might there be? Then, of course, I read the book and I I saw the the genius in you drilling down on one particular aspect of Babe Ruth's life. You know, it was the same question that I asked myself before I signed the contract, and I therefore spent an entire year before agreeing to do it 
making sure, doing all the reporting, doing all the reading, to convince myself that there was a new story to tell and that there was a new way to tell it. And one of the things I did, Michael, is I read every biography that had been written, and he's been written about maybe a little less than Lincoln and L.A., but not, but not much. And um, what, I re- what I found when I read all of those very, very good biographies was that in all of them, he appears almost fully fledged at age 19 when he emerged from the Reform School in Baltimore in 1914 to pitch first for the Orioles, of the International League and then for the Boston Red Sox. And it's as if nothing happened to him before. And as that Jesuit maxim that I have at the front of the book says, give me the boy for the first seven years and I'll give you the man. So I knew that there was something missing. And as a reporter, I'm sure you know this, if something is missing for that, that important is missing for that long, there's a reason. And what I didn't expect because nobody I really needed to speak to is currently alive, what I didn't expect was that the digital revolution that gives me access to documents that Bob Creamer et al. couldn't find would supply the voices of his childhood and the story, which is so much more Dickensian than, than anybody ever imagined, and explains why he hid it for so long. In other words, those who came before you didn't have the benefit of the digitizing of the record about him. Sure, and he never spoke about what really transpired in the household which he was, from which he was banished at age 7 on uh, June 13, 1902. And why would he? It was a very different time. Today, if you came out of that kind of background, your super agent would schedule an interview on 60 Minutes and uh, you'd have a very sympathetic audience, you know, listening to the story, which is that if he wasn't an orphan, as many people thought, and he wasn't an incorrigible, the legal word employed in those years to describe a boy who was sent by the courts to this reform school. He was, in fact, the product of an absolutely disastrous marriage. And by the time he was seven, he had seen four, perhaps six, siblings die two of them from malnutrition, and he had seen his father divorce his mother, having caught her in a compromising position with uh, one of his bartenders. He divorced her. Uh, She was thrown out of the house, out of the family, um, and would die by uh, 1912. So, you know, why would he want to talk about that? The father who banished him never came to visit him. And the mother, you know, who was apparently both a, an alcoholic and, and an, an adulterer, at least according to the documents George Sr. submitted for the divorce petition, um, you know, was not somebody he was, um, I mean, about which, he was, she was somebody about which he said one thing, I think she hated me. How did you decide, what was the eureka moment, okay, I'm going to drill down on this post-27 series roadshow? You know, this started out as a novel, Michael, (laughs) strangely enough, in 1995, and I was going to use that as the structure there because I wanted to inhabit this guy who had become a caricature. And back in the day, I thought the only way to do that would be fictionally because I didn't anticipate that, that 
archives and old newspapers were going to be able to supply the details of personality and of childhood that turned out to be available by 2014 and and going forward. So what I wanted to do was give people a feeling of what it was like to be Babe Ruth at the absolute apex of his fame. Because after all, in 1927, you know, when the book starts in in, uh, October 1927, he's just hit the 60th home run, rounding the bases, crowing 60, count them 60, let's see some other son of a bitch do that. And he's led the uh, the Yankees to a four-game sweep over the Pirates in the World Series in which he hit the only two home runs. And then he uh, and Lou Gehrig, who was then what my grandmother would have called a pitcher, you know, um, 24 years old, even though he was MVP of the American League that year, um, set off on this victory lap of America, organized by Walsh, by Christy Walsh, who was Babe Ruth's agent. And he was the first sports agent. So Babe Ruth is... If, if not the most famous man in in America, he's the most famous man in America who wants to be that famous. And he is a revolutionary in baseball, inadvertent as it may be, in tons of ways, not just in how he swung a bat, but in hiring this agent. And fame is being reinvented at that precise moment in American history because of the availability of new technology radio and telex and telepic systems that send pictures overnight from New York to Los Angeles, and all the principles of marketing and PR that are being developed on Madison Avenue, which is also new, um, and which his agent uses to exploit his name and give him a status as entertainer, not just athlete. And that was revolutionary. You reference your grandmother. Thank God she lived where she lived. Or I don't know what you'd be doing for a living or what you would have written about. Tell, tell yeah, everybody what I'm would referring have ended to. I up being a Giants fan. <laughs> <laughs> but, but tell folks who don't know, your grandmother lived in the shadow of the old Yankee Stadium. She did. Her name was uh, Celia Zelda Fellenbaum, and, um, meaning Fallen Tree, and she lived at 751 Walton Avenue, which was one very long, loud foul ball from uh, home plate at the old, real Yankee Stadium. And as a little girl, I fantasized, even though her uh, parlor window faced the wrong way, that if I looked hard enough, I could see a ball, you know, uh, careening out of the ballpark, heading just for me in my Sammy Esposito glove. And she also took me to synagogue um, uh, to High Holy Day services at the Concourse Plaza Hotel, which factors in in the Beirut story and in the mail story, as a matter of fact, um, as this this place where it had a balcony um, because it was a conservative synagogue and women and men prayed in separate places. The women went upstairs. And just for a little bit, you could see through the curtains uh, a swath of the green of Yankee (laughs) Stadium. And um, when the shofar would blow... um, I would have my radio on listening to Mel Allen and Red Barber in the catbird seat, and she would just pray louder to cover my um, irreligious, irreligiosity. This is Jane Levy. She's already got a couple of uh, Times bestsellers under her belt. This is Book Club with Michael Smirconish from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. 
Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. We got another day of NBA action, so it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. The Michael Smirconish Program. Listen weekdays at 9 a.m. East on POTUS, Sirius XM, Channel 124, and anytime on the Sirius XM app. This is Jane Levy. She's already got a couple of uh, Times bestsellers under her belt on the subject of baseball. Sandy Koufax, A Lefty's Legacy, The Last Boy, Mickey Mantle, and The End of America's Childhood. Now, and by the way, Jane, I I have traveled in the last couple of days, and I have seen this prominently everywhere. The big fella, Babe Ruth, and the world that he created. Just a curious, when did you realize recently, hey, I I really hit something with this? You know, honestly, um, 
I think it was the Wall Street Journal Review, which was uh, the, pretty much the first one that came through, written by a woman, Catherine Powers, who's won awards for um, uh, from the, I think, National Book Review Awards, and she got it. You know what it's like as, as a writer. It's nice to have people say nice things, especially after you've been working on something for but, eight But nicer years. if they've actually read it. But they, not just read it, but she got it. She understood what I was trying to do. Because without the little boy, you know, absent little George, which is what he was called in his family, you can't understand why and how he became the big fella. This is a guy who, you know, was unwanted by parents who had lost all but two children. They only had two kids left, and they still sent him away. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to feel at age seven? You know, you're going to think, what did I do? You know, how bad could I be? And he sort of internalized that bad boy idea, which morphed into the mythology of the bad boy Ruth. Now, he did plenty of excessive things. Uh, you know, I mean, mar- modern parlance, he was acting out. Yeah, he filled up the emptiness with women and beer and food and, you know, and prodigious clouts. But you had to understand that this kid lived in dorm rooms that built to accommodate 90 boys who slept head to toe in iron cots, separated just enough to let them get down on their knees and say their evening prayers. And they had no privacy, no personal objects at all. They slept together, bathed together, ate together, played baseball together. And what he learned at St. Mary's, in addition to how to make a collar, because he would have been a tailor if he couldn't have played baseball, uh, was not just how to throw a ball better than pretty much any left-hander, you know, in in the 1910s to 20, uh, but all and how to hit a ball, baseball, hit a ball better and differently than anyone else. But he learned how to be public. What this guy couldn't be was alone. And so when you look at the inside picture. Of the, of the book, which was taken in 1925 at an exhibition game in Syracuse, where he's surrounded yeah, by 5,000 kids. Yeah, yep. Piling out of a rickety stadium, a bandbox, trying to get near him, to touch him. And can you fe- feature that today with Aaron Judge or anybody else? And Aaron Judge is a good guy. You know, there'd be body men there and cops sending sure. everybody off. And that look on his face with his cockeyed straw hat and his bow tie and his grin, that is the happiest that man was because he was most comfortable in his skin being public. Barry Bonds came to Philadelphia a couple of seasons ago. Gosh, time flies. Probably by now, five, seven years ago. And I was there with my sons and uh, fans in Philly were just tormenting him. And you've seen the signs. The, the one that stands out in my mind was, Babe got it done with beer and hot dogs. And I think it was not unique to <laughs> I Philly. I never saw that. That's you great. Didn't? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, and uh, you've already touched on this, but, but how much of that is myth? How much of that was reality? Well, everything, you know, even then, even then in the, you know, the media world back then, things got, um, you know, uh, exaggerated but he was an exaggerated character you know uh, you know did how many 18 egg omelets did he eat well maybe one or two 
you know, how much beer did he drink? Yes, he he eventually had a tap put in his own house. Um, (laughs) You know, he was prodigious in every way. Mike Rizzo, the general manager of the the, uh, Washington Nationals, said of him, he was the original original. And that's actually, you know, dead on right. So, yes, you know, the thing that, that was so heartbreaking to me, you know, he colluded with this agent, Christy Walsh, who was a visionary. He was the original Jerry Maguire. Right. Creating yep. this image, this bloated image that became, you know, char- characterized with the the big chest that was going to fall over because his legs couldn't hold him up. But by 1934, his last year with the Yankees, when the whole conversation in the New York tabloids, of which there were many, um, was, you know, how Ruth was not going to be named manager of the Yankees, which is what he wanted to do, people say. Um, This young boy named Jan Robbins won a contest, and he was a 14-year-old kid from Brooklyn, and his reward was to get to go interview Babe Ruth in uh, in the Yankee clubhouse. And he goes in June, and after he gets over his shock at seeing Babe Ruth in a pair of striped pink underpants, um, he gathers his, his moxie, and he asks him what he thinks is the grown-up question. So, Babe, how about this not managing the Yankees stuff? And Babe Ruth goes nuts on the kid. That's what's wrong with you reporters. That's what's wrong with you newspaper guys, to a 14-year-old, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, didn't I give you something to write about? Can't you give me a chance? Sure, I ran around, but I've changed and that's what happens in fame. And maybe he was one of the first guys to experience it in the modern incarnation of fame of the fame machine, because then you get trapped in it, and nobody would see him or could see him um, for anything but the excesses and the the bad boy. Um, well, the caricature that then being. sprung from right, sprung from right. all of that. Right, hey, exactly. I, I'm not I'm not giving it all away for free. And and you get into <laughs> this following subject in some detail that I, as a lawyer, loved. And yet I can't understand. I wonder if you know where I'm going with this. But will you will you finish by giving us the Note version on the candy bar? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm so glad you asked that. Oh, my because God. Because that's the chapter that like it. baseball people hate. <laughs> right? I love it. Yeah, that's my. Can I say it was my favorite? <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Would you tell my editor that, please? Because she thinks it was so, too long and blah blah. So anyway, Otto, um, how do I say it? Schnering. Uh, Otto Schnering was the Schnering. owner and creator of um, the Baby Ruth Bar. He owned a company called the Curtis Candy Company in uh, Chicago, which turns out to be the candy um, capital of America. And he wa- he needed a signature product. And so in 1919, he takes this candy cake bar, which um, everybody was making one version of it or another with peanuts and caramel and chocolate, and they were called roll bars, I think. And he decides to rename it the Baby Ruth. Now, here's the thing that's so revolutionary about Babe Ruth. He was famous in a way no athlete had been famous before. He was his agent recognized that he was an entertainer who should be paid as an entertainer, not just for the balls he hit out of ballparks, but for the tushies he brought into them. And that in addition, he could be paid for putting his mug on toothpaste and 
uh, rifles and boys' underpants and whatever. And so, but a law in America, as you know better than I, was was way behind him. When Otto Schneering decides clearly to play off the name Babe Ruth, despite he what he claimed, said, but, but yeah, his claim. Go ahead, tell him. His it's claim was that the, that his candy bar was named after the dead daughter of President Grover Cleveland, Baby Ruth Cleveland, who was long who, dead. I think she died in 1904. Mm-hmm. So, um, so this this specious claim stands because there is no right of publicity. In, in American law for another 30 years. That doesn't come into being until 1951 when a judge in New York recognizes that a person's likeness, name and likeness, are a possession, a value for which you deserve to be recompensed and which belongs to you. But in 1925 and 26, when this is all happening, there's no, there's no way that the law can make Babe Ruth whole. He, all he can do is go to patent court where he loses because Otto Schnurring could show that he had invested so much money in developing the brand and Babe Ruth had basically waited too long to, uh, to bring his action protesting um, the baby Ruth when he decided to make his own candy bar. Um, and which they ruled was unfair competition. Believe it or not, <laughs> Babe Ruth's own uh, home run candy was unfair competition for for uh, Otto and his baby Ruth. It's great. It's great for. I'm, I'm thinking of my my contract law many many years ago. This would be a whole lecture of what happened to to Babe Ruth vis a vis Otto Schnering, and it's a fascinating story. And it's it's the whole development of. Uh, one's right to their own likeness, which didn't exist at the time. And which, as you know, um, is still evolving. Definitely. And is a very fertile area of the law, which is being changed every day because of, again, digital availability and because you can make avatars of people. I mean, Jockey Shorts made a, um, Jockey made an avatar of Babe Ruth fitting into, you know, 2013 underpants. I mean, (laughs) which was pretty funny because they had a, an eight-pack on him that, believe me, he never had. But, um, <laughs> do you but know... Was, a, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Do you know what's next for you? Uh, yeah, you're in Bali. <laughs> but then, seriously. You, you know, after Sandy Koufax, people said, you know, what can you do after Koufax? Well, okay, so you do Mickey Mantle. What do you right. do after Mickey Mantle? Okay, Babe Ruth. Where do you go after Babe? I don't know. Do you do you have an idea for me? Because I'd be happy to listen. I don't know, but I think it springs from Grandma's house in the shadow of Yankee Stadium. <laughs> I, it's just funny the way life works. You know that that that, that those memories for you. You'd have never known it at the time that it would set you on this path. I just find that to be remarkable. You know, I actually got to throw out a pitch at Yankee Stadium, though I, I hasten to say it's not the real Yankee Stadium in September. I was so nervous. How'd you do? How'd you do? Well, my, as my daughter said, Mom, you threw a curve. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> so I called Koufax for advice, and he said, how far can you throw it? And I said, ah, you know, this was in June, 40, 45 feet. And I worked out all summer. By August, I could, I could throw 60 right? 60 feet, six inches. But Sandy says, whatever you do, don't go to the mound. If you can throw 40, stand 30. 
and I'm and I get out there and I'm thinking, who am I to to to, to defy Sandy Koufax? So I sort of went back and forth a little bit, um, but I throw I threw a. Uh, a, a, a breaking ball that uh, over the broke down over the left corner of the, of the plate. Hey, uh, it makes you have a newfound respect for what W did in the aftermath of nine eleven, doesn't it? With a bulletproof vest on. Right. I mean, that was a hell of a pitch. I I once in, in a in a uh, in a grapefruit league game for the Phillies, I had the experience, and I remember the PR flack saying to me, "Aim high. Everybody mm-hmm. ends in the dirt." Aim high. Now I'm going to have to YouTube Jane Levy throwing your, I can send uh, your it pitch. To you. I'll send it to you. I have, I have the MLB version. <laughs> That's great. So hey, may I tell you, know you how... time for me to tell you one more Babe Ruth story? Yeah, real quick. So the last year of his life, when he's dying of nasopharyngeal cancer, he goes back on the road because all he knows how to be is Babe Ruth, who was always on the road. And he goes to Minneapolis. He's less than three weeks from his death, I think. And he does an interview, a radio interview, with a little boy who's blind, who sits in his lap and asks him about who he thinks is going to win the pennant and about his new autobiography. This is in 1948, uh, which Babe couldn't contribute to because he could barely talk. And he asks him how his throat feels, and Babe's croaking and says, yeah, it feels pretty bad. And how and my head is really aching. I mean, he was in, in extraordinary pain. And the little boy runs out of, of things to ask. And Ruth hugs him and says, it's all right, Johnny. I think we've both run out of words. And mm. what, what an epitaph for him. Yeah, yeah. You know? good stuff. And there he is on the radio when he began the, his career in 1914. Nobody had ever heard of radio. It's quite a span of a life. Great gift for the holidays. The book is titled The Big Fella. The Big Fella. Hey, Jane Levy, you know I love your work. I hope I see you again soon. Oh, I, yeah, I'm yours anytime you want me, Mike. All right. Don't, don't wait for another book to come out. I, it's, too much fun. <laughs> okay. it's too much fun talking to you, and I mean it. Thank you, babe. Wish Happy you good holidays. Things. You too. Jane Levy, The Big Fella, ladies and gentlemen. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the Sirius XM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.